Uh, but this week, I left it long because I think it helps illustrate the point that I want to make here as we begin. Uh, you know, I think all of us, we understand what it means to say that there is too much to do and too little time to do it in. Uh, in our fast-paced world, it seems that we are constantly packing in, as Ava says to me and Ben, we are constantly packing in the obligations constantly taking on more responsibilities. And so whether it is our work or our family, our jobs, sports or school or church or going to the grocery store or having to fix supper, uh, somewhere in there having to try to sleep a little bit, uh, there's a lot on our plates. And look, that's just the, the big categories, right? You know better than I do that under each of those are, are other obligations, smaller obligations to be sure, but those that have to be filled with your jobs, you have different responsibilities. With your family, you have many roles there as mothers, as fathers, as children. There's lots to be done. And so with all of that, the statement proves true. It seems that there is too much to do and too little time to get it done in. There's only 24 hours in a day. And if you're like me, those hours seem to pass in a blur. Now. It's easy to think that this is just a problem that we in our modern society face. And to some degree, that's probably true, at least to the extent that we face it. Uh, but as we turn to the Gospels, I think we find that, that Jesus knew something of what this was like. I think often, you know, as we read these stories, we read them so incrementally that, that we forget uh, that this all happened. All that we read, the stories of the Gospel, all happened in a three-year window, basically. You know, Jesus' public ministry happened within a three-year window. And so all of these stories are happening, but we also forget that while these are the stories that the Holy Spirit saw fit to leave us, these are not the only stories. There were many things that were going on in Jesus' life, in the life of the disciples, day in and day out. In other words, though, though these are the, the stories that we have, they're significant. They are just a piece of the daily grind that Jesus and the disciples experienced. We can be sure that as word spread, that as the curiosity around Jesus grew, and Luke has recorded that for us over and over and over again, right? He has left us with that statement that the crowds grew, that they were pressing in. We can be sure as that happened that the demands on Jesus grew right along with it. There was always somebody who needed something from him. They needed to be taught, a child that needed to be blessed, a sign that was in demand. Or in our story today, there was somebody always who needed to be healed, somebody who always needed a miracle. Now look, I'm not suggesting that this was burdensome, burdensome to Jesus because we have no indication that it was. You know, he always seemed to have time for those in need. He always seemed to have compassion on those who were hurting. Uh, but even for the incarnate Son of God, there was only 24 hours in the day, right? There was only so much time to see so many people. And so I think it's safe to describe Jesus' life here as we find it as demanding and chaotic, just like what we so often experience. 
And again, we we certainly see that here in our text today. Just as Jesus is confronted by the need uh, for one miracle, he is detoured by another. And then while he is detoured by that one, the time seems to run out on the first one that comes. And and so it's almost like, how is he going to get all of this done? We see here in this story that, that though Time seems to run out for this man, Jairus, and for his family. This detour seems to be an unfortunate thing in his life. What it really is, is an opportunity for God's glory. What it really is, is an opportunity for Jesus to show once again who he is and the extent to which his power reaches out into the world, into creation, and then even beyond Here we see the power of Jesus, once again, on full display. Now, but before we get there, I just want to to remind us that many of us have shown up here today overloaded, overburdened with life. We have too many obligations, too many things to do, and we don't know how we're going to get it all done. Now, we can talk about... The, the reality of that and what we need to get rid of, and there's probably things we do need to get rid of. But until then, just let me remind you that Jesus knows exactly what that is like. He knows what your life is like when it is overrun, when it is chaotic. And so that means you can go to him and you can unburden yourself. If with nobody else, you can unburden yourself with him. You can say, Lord, I've got too much to do and I don't know how I'm going to get it done. And he's going to say, I understand what that's like. I know what it's like to walk in your shoes. And he offers you that promise of Matthew 11, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. He says, take my yoke, that that heavy yoke that we bear every day in our lives. He says, set it aside, set it on me, and you take my light, easy yoke. You take it on you and find rest, even rest for your souls. Friends, it's not an offer to to fix everything. It's not an offer to extend the hours in the day. But it is an offer to reprioritize. It is an offer to learn what truly has to be done. And it's an offer through faith to be free of the grind as we rest in him and in him alone. And so from the beginning, we have to ask here in this passage... Are we resting in Jesus today? I know our lives are chaotic. Look, I know it better than anybody. But are we resting in Christ? Well, with the time we have left, let's look at this. Uh, Let's look at needs, detours, death, and peace. First in this passage, I want you to see the, the end of the rope. The end of the rope. And you see it really in both of these characters that Luke introduces to us. Uh, But I want to focus just first here on this man, Jairus. Now, the first thing we need to recognize is the position that he held in life. In verse uh, 41 there, it says that he was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, now this would have been a position that entailed kind of overseeing the the teaching ministry there in the synagogue. uh, And he also would have done some teaching himself. And so this was certainly a well-respected position. Uh, This was not a position that he would have gotten quickly or without merit. He wouldn't have gotten it just overnight. 
Uh, and, and this certainly would have been a man that was respected for his theology, for, for his knowledge, for his holiness, his godliness. Uh, and we can be sure that because he was all of those things, because he was part of the religious circles of that time, that he knew what the prevailing thought was about this man Jesus. We can be sure that, that he was as skeptical at some point in his life as all of the rest of the Jewish leaders were, of who Jesus claimed to be. He knew of his teachings. He knew what he said. But notice, notice what Luke tells us there about Jairus as well. Not only does he have this position, this high position in the religious community, but he also has a daughter in verse 42. A daughter who is 12 years old and who is dying. What we find with Jairus here is that he, in so many ways, is at the end of his rope. And I say that because surely, as a man with his position, surely he would have sought out all the help he could find from the religious leaders of that day. He would have gone to priests. He would have gone to rabbis. He would have gone to Pharisees and Sadducees. He would have tried to find answers from everybody he could get a hold of. Everybody that would talk to him. But nobody seemed to have the answers that could help. No one seemed to be able to heal his daughter. This, this person that was most precious to him was about to be lost. And so what we find in Jairus, and what we're going to find in this woman as well, is what we found in almost every single character in Luke's gospel that we've seen up until this point He's desperate. He is absolutely desperate. Consider the thing that you love the most. It's about to be gone. How desperate would you be to find answers? So let me ask you today, how desperate are you for Jesus right now? You know, what, what Luke has shown us over and over again is those who truly love the Lord are those who are most desperate for him. Those who truly bow at the feet of Jesus see their need the most. A good friend of mine sent me a quote this week by Martin Lloyd-Jones that says, the only way to be happy in Christ is to be desperately unhappy without him. In other words, to, to appreciate the full beauty of who Jesus is, we must understand the mess that sin has made of our lives. We must understand how grave our situation is. We must see the world for what it is and see how desperately we need him. Now, look, I said this last week as much last week, but part of the reason why religion has waned so much in our time, especially in our Western society, it's because we are so satisfied when every part of our lives, there is no desperateness. We're good. We have what we need. We have more than what we need. And so there is no sense of, of, of need, of real desperate need. Friends, Luke has shown us over and over. The Lord shows us over and over that every one of us, is just as desperate as Jairus. We're just as desperate as this woman. And we are all in danger of losing the thing that, that is most precious to us. 
all that we hold dear, we are in danger of losing. Only in Christ, only as we bow before him and cry out, Lord, I need you more than anything else. You are the only thing that can satisfy this great need within me. Only as we bow before him will we find that this is the solution. Only then can we find the one who will save us from our desperate need today. And so I ask you, have you made it to the end of your rope? Maybe not physically, maybe not financially, but spiritually. We all come into this world at the end. Do you see yourself there now? If so, fall at Jesus' feet. Fall at this one who can save you. So we see the end of the rope. Secondly, I want you to see an unexpected detour. An unexpected detour. And you see it there in verses 42 through 48. Now, now Jesus, in his grace, uh, he agrees to go with Jairus. But, but in the, the process, as they are going along the way, uh, he is hindered by this great crowd that, that is pressing in on him, you know. And this is not the first time we've seen this in Luke, but, but these crowds are almost overwhelming in their size and their fervor to get to Jesus. And among those gathered that day, surprisingly, uh, was this woman who had been stricken uh, with a discharge. Now, like we said, this woman's position is not all that dissimilar from Jairus's. She has suffered uh, for 12 years and in that time, she has shown herself to be willing to give up almost everything to find a cure, almost everything to find an answer. Uh, Luke says that she has spent all her living on physicians, uh, seemingly on every specialist she could go to, uh, seeking out every natural remedy she could find, maybe even uh, going to some of those experimental treatments that, that only those who are, are find themselves in hopeless situations would try. Yet no one, exactly no one, could heal her. She had suffered for 12 long years. So again, here is someone who is desperate who is willing to do anything, including putting everything on the line to get to Jesus. Now that, sound, that may sound dramatic to us, but remember, remember how the world would have seen this lady. Because she had this discharge, she would have been unclean. She wasn't all that different from the lepers that we have seen up until this point. She would have had to keep her distance from everybody just on the off chance that she would touch them and make them unclean as well. Most likely she had lived in isolation. Most likely she had lived without the touch of another human for a very, very long time. And so the fact that we find her here shoulder to shoulder with her brothers and sisters, Jewish brothers and sisters, is an amazing thing. But what's even bigger than that is the fact that she would see fit to try to reach out and touch Jesus. After all, he is a religious leader at the time. Many don't respect him, but, but many understand what he is. And you could not possibly do what she's about to do. Touch someone who claimed to be all that Jesus claimed to be. And you see how risky it must have been in her reaction in verse 47. After Jesus calls out, who touched me? And after he finally gets her to, to, uh, to confess... 
when she realizes that she is caught, what does she do? It says that she came trembling. She came with great fear before him and fell at his feet. Friends, she is scared to death because she knows what her sins deserve. She knows that what she has done is unacceptable, and she fully expects Jesus to bring down the full wrath on her for doing what she did. But back up a second. What happened when this woman reached out and touched Jesus? Did he become unclean? Well, no, as we've seen so often, it is not he that takes on the uncleanliness of the people around him, but instead she becomes clean, right? His, his cleanliness rubbed off on her. It says immediately. She had been in anguish for 12 years, could not find an answer, but immediately she was healed. What no man could do, Christ does almost unconsciously, almost unintentionally, right? It seems in verse 45, he says, who touched me? He doesn't even realize who it is that he's healed. In his human mind, he doesn't realize who it is that's touched him. And Peter's going, Lord, there's a thousand people here. Everybody's touching you. We're just going to have to keep going. He says, no, somebody has touched me because power has gone out from me. Jesus, he heals this woman with a touch, a touch from her. And then notice how his grace continues in his word. He he is not a a priest. He is not a prophet on a power trip. But but he is kind. He is merciful to this woman. Look at those words in verse 48. First, and don't don't miss this. Don't, Don't miss it. He says, Daughter, daughter, Jesus here has, has shown almost immediately that she's no longer a slave, she's no longer a servant, she is no longer defined by this, this disease that has been the definition of her life for 12 long years. She is now a daughter. She is now a daughter of the Most High. She has received adoption. Friends, how wonderful, wonderful those words are. If you are resting in Christ today, whatever defined you before, it no longer defines you now. Whatever the world seeks to define you by, it does not define you. He does. You are a son or a daughter. Our our youth, our children, hear me here. Whatever this world tries to tell you you are, you are resting in Christ. You are his. And above all else, that is what defines you. You are resting in Jesus and you are his son. You are his daughter. These are wonderful words. This is a wonderful reminder to every single one of us. Of us. But then, then he goes on to explain how it was that she was healed. And this is important to remember, okay? What was it that, that made the difference that day for her? Many people seemingly had touched Jesus. Many people were there seeking healing. What made the difference for this particular lady? Jesus says it was faith. He says your faith has made you well. In other words, when she reached out that day, it wasn't with a fanciful hope. It wasn't with a here goes nothing. 
No, it was a belief that if she could just get to Jesus, that if she could just reach out and even grab just the hem of his garment, that it would be enough to make her well. She had faith like her father Abraham, like those Old Testament saints. She believed and she was healed. Notice, it is a healing that, that is physical to be sure, but it's also a spiritual healing as well. That, that Greek word that, that we have translated for us uh, has made you well it is sozo, which is actually the word saved. Really, the, the text reads, daughter, your faith has saved you. Now, now clearly, again, there is this physical element to this, but there, there's more going on. He has called her daughter. He has adopted her into his family. Then at the end, he says, go in peace. Go in peace. And that's not just a, a, a great benediction, but that is the reality of her life now. She has peace with God the Father through Jesus the Son. Her future is secure because she had faith in Christ. And what a challenge to us. This lady who seemingly knew very little about Jesus, she had heard the stories, she had heard the things that he had said, she had heard what he had done. She believed. She believed. And she was saved. Jesus, through that faith, reached out and healed her, and he saved her. Do you have that same faith today? Are you resting in him? Do you have this peace that she goes out with? And so Jesus, on this unexpected detour he heals this this lady who had been sick for so long thirdly and finally in this passage i want you to see death and its conqueror death and its conqueror now all of this has been going on and jairus is is anxiously waiting uh, he's anxiously waiting to to see in verse 49 uh, or he's anxiously waiting for jesus to come on and we see in verse 49 that the delay results in the unimaginable. It results in the worst thing that possibly could have happened. The delay comes with a cost. The servant comes and says, your daughter is dead. Now, Just for a second, try, try to put yourself in Jairus' shoes. He had been desperate to get to Jesus. He had gotten there. He had gotten to him. Jesus had agreed to come along the way. Jairus sees this great display of power, and he's thinking, yes, this is the God. Jesus can heal my daughter. And then he's this much too late. He's right there, but they miss it. As the servant says, it's time to leave the teacher be because we have to go home and mourn. This daughter is dead. Imagine the, the emptiness. Imagine the despair. Imagine all the, the what-ifs he must have asked. Just a little faster. If Jesus had just come on, this lady had not reached out at that moment, maybe things would be different. All seems lost. But then Jesus speaks in verse 50. He says, On hearing this, he answered him, Do not fear, only believe. And she will be well. Only believe and she will be well. Now I want you to hold tight to those words because we're going to come back to them at the end. Uh, but, but for now, 
on some level, these words, that they had to, to strike a nerve with Jairus, right? On the one hand, if any other human on earth had said them, any other man or woman, they would have seen him sensitive, right? How dare you say to me, do not fear? How dare you say to me that she's going to be well? My daughter, she is dead. But on the other hand, when Jesus spoke these words, given why Jairus went to him in the first place, the hope of healing power, they had to spark, however small, a little bit of hope, right? They had to spark some level of faith. Maybe, just maybe, all wasn't lost. Maybe Jesus can even conquer death. So Jairus, he has this choice choice we we all face. Will it be faith or will it be fear? Faith or fear? Well, they proceed on to Jairus' house, and when they get there, they find the scene just as the servant has said, uh, weeping, mourning for one who was so young. But Jesus, again, uh, he he says something that that is surprising, something that is actually just outright crazy. He says, don't weep. She is only sleeping. Now, for those in attendance, this is, this is too much. Jesus must be crazy. They know, after all, the difference between sleeping and dead. And unfortunately, this girl was dead. And so they laughed. They mocked him. They said, you don't know what you're talking about. You, this, she's dead. We've we got to move on. You, you can't do anything about this. I want you to see that, that Luke, he records this little exchange very, very intentionally. Up until this point, he has shown Theophilus, remember, that's who he's addressed this letter to. He has shown him Jesus' power over the natural world. He's shown him his power over sickness, over demons, even to some degree over death. But now, now he, he's kind of reaching a point of climax here, right? Here is this girl that is dead, and he wants to, Theophilus to know for sure, that's what he said, right? That this girl really was dead. There's not going to be any. Well, maybe she, maybe she was just really asleep. Maybe she wasn't dead after all. Maybe they just got it wrong. No, Luke wants to leave no room for doubt. Instead, he writes what he has written so that those who read will have no choice but to bow in awe and wonder when they see what Jesus does next in verse 54. It says that he took her by the hand, this little girl, And he called out, child, arise. And her spirit returned. This one who was dead was now up and moving. She was ready for something to eat. It's the power of Jesus. It extended through, through all of the world, through all of creation. And now we see that it even extends beyond. Here is the one who is the king, king of this world. He's also the conqueror of death. Nothing can stand before him. He is the almighty. He he is the holy one. Nothing, not even death, can stop him. Now, friends, I said I wanted us to to hold on to those words of, of verse 50. And I do, and I want us to go back to them just for a second. Because today, Jesus extends to you those same words that he extends to Jairus here. He is saying to each one of us today, in a world of COVID, in a world of political unrest, in a world that seems to be falling apart around us, he is saying to each one of us, 
Do not fear, only believe. He's given us a choice. Faith on the one hand, and fear on the other. He is showing us who he is. Jairus' belief, however small it may have been, it was well-founded, and he's showing us the same. And he's given us far more assurance than what he had even given Jairus here in this story because he has given us the cross. He has given us the empty tomb where death was defeated once and for all. So that now whoever believes in this resurrection, whoever believes in this life will never perish. Yes, our bodies may sleep. It's interesting that Paul picks up on this in 1 Thessalonians 4, right? He says, I don't want you to be uh, uninformed, brethren, of those who are what? Who are asleep. He picks up on the truth of this. Yes, our bodies may sleep, but those who are resting in Jesus, we will never taste the sting of death. Because Jesus has taken that sting for us. We don't have to fear because Jesus has stood in our place. He has taken our cross and he is alive today. I told the kids this week as we finish up our communicants class, I've been just talking to each of them individually, Ben and I, and I ended each one of our little sessions with this. You know, traditionally in the Reformed faith, Faith, the concept of faith, has three parts. It has knowledge. And look, that I pray and I think that all of us here have a knowledge of the Bible. We have a knowledge of what Jesus has done. If you listen Sunday after Sunday, I pray that that's the case. Secondly, is assent to that knowledge. It's true. We believe it's true, right? But then thirdly, and this is the, this is the kicker today. This, this is what I want to ask each of you. This is what Jesus is calling Jairus to and it's what he's calling each of us to right now. The third aspect is trust. It's not just knowledge. It's not just saying that that knowledge is true, but it's throwing all that we are on to Jesus. I read a story this week that, that illustrates this well. It was when the, the Nazis were bombing London And a little boy and his father were caught in a house and they were running to try to get away from the bombs. And there was a hole in the yard where a bomb had hit and the father jumped in the hole. And the little boy was still on the outside. And he said, Dad, I cannot see you. The dad said, Jump. He said, But Dad, I can't see you. He said, Son, I can see you. Jump. That is what Jesus is calling us to. Yes, it is a jump. It is faith to be sure, but it's faith that is sure, because when we jump, he is there. He will catch us. That's the promise over and over and over again of Scripture, is that he will not let us fall. He will not let us slip. And so we aren't afraid. We're not afraid, not because we have the answers, not because we know what's going to happen, We're not afraid because when we jump, our God, our Savior, he will catch us every single time. Even if the jump is into death's dark veil, he is there and he will catch us. He has overcome. And so today, as we end, are you desperate for that Savior? Are you living by faith? looking for him to catch you over and over and over again? 
Friends, I invite you today, come to Jesus. Come to this one who can do all things, even conquer death. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this this story, this wonderful story of what you did for uh, these two people who were at the end of their rope, desperate for their need of a Savior, desperate for healing, desperate for, for real power in their lives, Lord, we have to look at our own hearts and ask ourselves if we don't see that same need in ourselves. And the truth is, is the Word says that that need is there. Whether we see it or not, we are desperate for Jesus. And so I pray that that whether we have known this truth for many years or whether we are just seeing it for the first time, that you would give us the faith. To, to jump, the faith to jump in a way that, that is pleasing to you, but a, a, a jump that is certainly into the arms of our Savior who catches us, who will never let us go, who will never leave us or forsake us, who will even see us through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, that's what you offer us today, an assurance that goes beyond this life, that extends even to the next and extends for all of eternity. Father, help us to rest in this sure Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we conclude our service, let us proclaim together to